On the block, on demand. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. Oh, angry to start the 5 o'clock hour. A little rage. What's wrong with that? Getting fired up here. Great to have you here. Uh, I would remind you that if you miss this show, and if that is the case, how dare you? How dare you, sir? How dare you, ma'am? But we understand, like, I don't know, once or twice a year it happens that you can't be here for all two hours of the program. That's why we do a podcast for you, or that's why Seth Goldberg does a podcast for you. I tell him what's put on the podcast. I help a little bit. Uh, but it is on iTunes. You can listen to this show. You can listen to Sportzilla. You can listen to Orange Nation when you want, anytime, on demand. Our archive is also available for you on Twitch. As you know, we're streaming on twitch.tv slash QSportsTalk. Hello. You can watch the show. You can participate in the chat during commercial breaks. We keep the mics on. We've had a lively discussion during the breaks today. Appreciate all the insight from our some of our regulars that hang in the chat. Our boy uh, Jimmy CBW and Kid Coles and some great people that stopped by. Kevin in Liverpool. Shout out to some of our regulars. But uh, we're like cheers, man. You can come by hang anytime. On twitch.tv slash QSportsTalk. So, how important is the second game of the season? Before I finished that sentence, a lot of you knew exactly what I was talking about. And it's a fair point to bring up. And it's one I want to bring up here. And I'm going to add to this by something Dino Baber said in his press conference on Monday and applies to this game. Because you just don't... There's a lot of things about this season that, like it or not, are just not fair. They changed the schedule on Syracuse. Remember, their first two games were supposed to be Boston College and Rutgers, which, by the way, side note, is interesting considering that Rutgers is now playing again. So uh, can we put them on the schedule instead of Liberty? Right? Just saying... I actually want to see Syracuse play Rutgers. There's a little history. There's a little bad blood there. If you're going to play non-conference games, I like them to make sense in some way. I know there's always that one throwaway FCS, let's just kind of grab a win here and get things rolling kind of game. But I like when non-conference games are interesting. I'm for interesting. I loved it when Syracuse played LSU and when they played Penn State again and when Notre Dame kind of became a quasi-member of the ACC, but when they were a non-conference game, I liked the little spice, a little juice in the non-conference slate. That's a regional rivalry with Rutgers. There's history there. There's enough fans that remember the bad blood, particularly with Shiano back. Now, he doesn't have bad blood with Dino. So we'll see how that goes. Side note, but getting back to what we were saying about Game 2, it was supposed to be Rutgers. It's now Pittsburgh. Top 25 team, we've been previewing the matchup as we go here, coming off of North Carolina. Now, I swear to God, I'm not doing this as a pun, but let's make it a pun. Number two. There's two reasons the second game of the season is huge. One is last year. Last year, Syracuse goes to Maryland, and we were all looking over the horizon. We were all thinking about the next week. We were all thinking about Clemson and game day, and it was just going to be no matter what, that was going to be an event. Clemson coming to the Dome, we knew the game was sold out, record number of ticket sales, and we just knew it was going to be different. The cherry on top of the Sunday would have been if college game day had come, and that would be 2-0 Syracuse, 2-0 Clemson, 
Fowler, Herb Street, uh, McDonough ended up calling the game and probably still would have because he was getting an award at Syracuse at the time. But it was just, it felt like Syracuse football was a big deal again. Even coming off 2018, they were back in the poll and, and had a, accomplished some of that. But that would have been the full grab the rubber stamp, you are back. But see, about that was there was a game before that game, and then they played that game, and they got trucked by Maryland. And any hope of that season meaning anything never got on the plane back from College Park. We thought it was potentially an, an anomaly. We thought it was a one-off. We thought it was it's that's Boy, Mike Loxley threw some things at Syracuse that they couldn't adjust to, and it's just, hey, everybody has that one kind of WTF game a year, and that was it. And we didn't want to believe what we saw with our own eyes. That was the first of three games that ended up Syracuse gave up 50 or more points. All the problems on defense came to fruition, not to mention what was happening on the offensive side of the ball with the offensive line and everything that became truth. But it's hard to get a read on an entire season in Game 2. But you only play usually 12. This year it's 11 of these things. And as we learned from the North Carolina game, you have got to take advantage of these situations when they are put on the table. That's hard to discuss with you know amateur athletes and the mistakes they make and the approach they take. And this year you add in the lack of practice time in the offseason and everything that happened. But... I've beat this dead horse enough. you got to turn the page from it at some point. But the reality is, when we think of that North Carolina game, the instant thought you're going to have and the instant thought you should have is they had that game. Literally in their hands in some ways. Dropping touchdowns, missed opportunities. Every football game is filled with missed opportunities, but those are going to linger like a hangnail. So now you get pit. If Syracuse goes in the hole 0-2, and starting with North Carolina in Pittsburgh, look, them's the breaks. That's a tougher start to the season than most. That's how it ended up. That's the schedule they were handed a month ago. It would have been much more manageable had it been Boston College and Rutgers. Boston College, rebuilding, new coach. Anthony Brown left in the offseason. A.J. Dillon gone in the offseason. That's a team you can beat on opening day. Rutgers, as much as Shiano has come back and brought that Jersey pride and maybe will resurrect some recruiting, they stink. And Syracuse absolutely would have been expected in current form to beat that team. So then all of a sudden they start 2-0, and and you're bracing for impact of the tough games to come in the schedule. But remember, in 2020 schedule 1.0, they didn't have Notre Dame on it. Louisville was coming here, not Syracuse going there, and things were a little more different in Syracuse's favor. 2020 schedule 2.0, yeah, deck stacked against you. So we learned in Game 2 last year how it can set a tone. Now, here's the second reason Game 2 is important, and Dino Baber said this today, or said this Monday, I should say, and Nate Mink wrote about it today and included this quote. This is Dino Babers. I believe we have this audio, but I'll I'll read you the quote quickly. We're going to play a lot of people. The experienced guys are going to get the first go at it because they know what to do, but they need to produce. 
And if they don't produce, then the younger guys who are talented, the only thing they lack is experience and strength. Then that's when they're going to get their opportunities. Dino also saying, quote, by the second game, there's going to be some tendencies developed in these individuals. And then based off those tendencies, we're going to have to make some decisions. This is usually a process in which you discuss four games or five games determining that. You don't have that kind of time this year. Because of how the schedule played out, you go in an 0-2 hole with North Carolina and Pitt, and I'm curious to see how Georgia Tech does this week against a ranked team in Central Florida. But they beat Florida State last week. They got a freshman quarterback who surprised a lot of people, was named the ACC Rookie of the Week, and Georgia Tech, with a new coach last year, this is his second year, they were picked to finish last in the ACC, and maybe they're showing, well, maybe they're not that, but against it's one of those, we got to have to let that breathe a little bit. It's only week one kind of things. But they looked impressive in week one. There's no question about it. No matter what, I think that game's going to be a lot tougher next week, new Carrier Dome opening, than we thought. No matter what they do this week against Central Florida. To hear Dino say that and analyze that, and remember, you know, answers come from specific questions and, and are led into a certain way. Context is important, but he's not wrong to say that. And what he's talking about is on the offensive side of the ball. Now, could the defense come out this week and just, wow, everything we saw a week ago, just the opposite happens? Sure it could. Totally different comparisons, but that happened last year. Pittsburgh's a lot better than Liberty. And again, this is not an apples-to-apples comparison, but Syracuse shut out Liberty in Game 1. And I remember writing and discussing it on this show before the season last year that, boy, we tend to talk about the Syracuse offense so much, but look at this defense. It's got Kendall Coleman and Olin Robinson and Andre Sisco. And, boy, this, this, the defense could anchor Syracuse this year. Yeah, how'd that go? Dumb. Yeah. When I said that, the guy is drunk. Yeah, how about one more? That's just dumb. There you go. That's how it turned out. So I hope that doesn't happen with the defense because I think what we saw last week was impressive in terms of the scheme, which we haven't seen fully. The heart, the desire, the physicality they played with, they were aggressive. The 3 3 5 is flying around the field, it's in your face, you're coming after people, which can cost you sometimes when you get a good quarterback that can take advantage of some matchups and and draw you in and take advantage of your aggression. But what Dino's talking about there is on the offensive side of the ball. Because there are, what's the stat here? Syracuse traveled with 29 true or redshirt freshmen last week to Chapel Hill. That's half the roster nearly. You've got receivers like Courtney Jackson and Justin Barron on the two deep, Javante Williams, Trevor Pena, Isaiah Jones, all traveled, Ed Hendricks, who we've heard a lot about, could be another option to kind of put out there on the perimeter as Nate writes to help stretch the field. It's not a quarterback, but it seems like everybody else is under watch here. Taj Harris got open last week. Nikeem Johnson got open last week. Anthony Queeley got open last week. So to hear Tommy, I was listening in on Tommy DeVito's press conference a little bit, 
And look, quarterbacks are going to say that after you watch the film and you kind of know the opportunities that were missed there. But at some point, it is going to point. I mean, it always does when you're the starting quarterback. But you have to say, well, is this more your lack of time to throw the football, what the receivers are doing right or wrong, or is this just you're missing it? So when Dino says that, the quote I just read about some younger guys ready to step in, that's what he's talking about. The offensive line is still kind of repairing itself. God bless Chris Elmore, who held his own last week, but uh, you're rolling the dice every time you're putting in a fullback or a tight end at left guard as the offensive line tries to fix itself and tries to get better here. So that's why the two deep was the same we're going to see some of the same plans, but how quickly do you start adjusting if Pitt comes out? And I think this is what they're going to do. I think they're potentially going to lay some haymakers on Syracuse early. It's going to be the opposite of the North Carolina game. Syracuse is going to be chasing them through the game. How quickly do we see those changes made within that game if things aren't going right? How on notice are these players on offense? And again, I'll say this, grab stick, beat horse. Use the tight ends, please. I understand different game plans call for different situations, but that's not a check mark you want. How many times did we target the tight end in this game? Once. And to be fair, there were a couple other times Aaron Hackett was open in the end zone and Tommy didn't see him, but the plan itself clearly showed the tight end was not involved in the passing game. And I just don't get that. And I think Sterling Gilbert, Dino Babers, and Tommy DeVito are going to realize that after they watch the film. Oh, wait, we should probably use those guys, right? Oh, wait, we're not a power running team in the red zone. We've got two tight ends that combined for nine touchdowns last year. They can get open. One's a traditional tight end, great blocker that, you know, if you look up tight end in a dictionary, it's Aaron Hackett. Luke Benson kind of breaks some of those rules. He's a he's a yak guy. He's a catch and run guy. He's got speed. Use him. So I think this game is going to have more of that plan because one disappointment that I had. And I understand it's game one and the playbook smaller. You got to be fair to note these things. But one thing I was disappointed with, and one thing I think a lot of people were disappointed with, was did you truly throw everything you could at North Carolina? And I don't think they did. There were certain limitations as to why they couldn't. But you want to feel like you walked off the field throwing everything you have available to you at that team, and in no way did I get that feeling from the offense. I certainly got that from the defense. They were literally physically and mentally spent. There's a difference there when you're a defensive player. You know, when you play defense at Syracuse, when you play defense with that spread offense on the other side of the field, you're going to be on the field more. But there's a mentality, there's a confidence that's different when you're running back on the field after the offense scored again or did something good or had a sustained drive. You're happy to go back on the field because you're full of confidence and adrenaline. When the feeling is, you guys had to punt again, third and seven, and you ran out of bounds again, you threw the ball away on third and seven again. Like that wears on you, not only physically, but mentally. But when the mental part is more confident when the offense is actually doing something, 
that helps carry you through the physical exhaustion that happens through a football game. So this Game 2 thing is important for two big reasons. One, it was critical last year, and two, you could tell by Dino's tone and what he's been saying at his press conference that there's a lot of guys on notice here. Be ready to get in there. But as he noted, a lot of those guys are young. Can, can some of these guys even vote yet? 29 true or redshirt freshmen traveled to Carolina. That's nearly half the roster. Could that get bigger as we go here? And on that note, we shall break. And we will come back and listen, we've had these discussions before. But if you really look at it, and I think Pitt has to get on board with this some more, that's the rivalry game. That's it. Like, we got to start making this more of a thing. We'll discuss that next. You're on the block ESPN Radio. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. Welcome back. You're on the block ESPN Radio. Great to have you here. It's presented by the Salvation Army of Syracuse. Breaking news from the sports world, albeit expected breaking news. John Rothstein, CBS Sports, Pat Forty of Sports Illustrated, other college sports insiders noting that it looks like November 25th is going to be the start of the college basketball season. That was expected. That is the day before Thanksgiving this year. Thanksgiving is Thursday, November 26th. So keep in mind, there is a big window between Thanksgiving and mid-January at Syracuse and most colleges where no one's on campus. A lot of the same schools have taken the same approach to coronavirus in the sense of if you can still be on campus, because obviously a lot of schools out there have had to bail on having kids on campus at all, as we learned last week when Syracuse was playing North Carolina. But some are hanging in there. Syracuse right now, fingers crossed, they're still there. But between Thanksgiving and mid-January, there's no one on campus in terms of just the regular student body, because Usually what happens is they go home for Thanksgiving, come home, come back to college, pardon me, finals, wrap up the semester, the whole thing. That's not the case this year. They will go home for Thanksgiving, and they will stay home until mid-January. So we've got the date, and what will start to come now is the schedule, how many non-conference games you play if you're the ACC I don't think their proposal went through to have everybody in the NCAA tournament, unfortunately, because I wanted to see that. I was all for that in a one-year, one-off situation, but I don't think my dream is going to come true there. But what is the ACC coaches talk every Thursday, so I wonder if things will come out of that meeting tomorrow about, well, do we move the schedule up? Do we try and get as many games as we can in that window and just kind of hold our breath? In January and February, build in some delays, build in some time to reschedule games. Will March Madness be in March? Like, there's a lot of questions that will come of that. But wanted to let you know that that is happening as we speak. November 25th is the date that was the date being discussed. And uh, John Rothstein, palpable buzz, tells us that uh, the 25th's been locked in, off the chain, my friends. Okay. So I brought this up before the break. I don't ever want to force a rivalry, nor should anyone want to force a rivalry. But listen, guys, and gals for that matter, lots of ladies listen to the show. 
Pittsburgh is Syracuse's football rival. For some reason, they have tried to force Boston College. I understand the history between those schools. I understand the geography between those schools. But it's always felt like an arranged marriage. I don't hate Boston College. I've never hated Boston College. They're just kind of on the schedule. We're kind of brothers in arms in Eastern football, and they joined the ACC in a different fashion than Syracuse did. Pittsburgh, to me, is the rivalry. There's First of all, they've played Pitt more than anybody. So start right there. The Syracuse-Pittsburgh series dates back to 1916, and has been held annually since 1955. Pitt leads the series 40-32-3. So I think with a rivalry, you got to start checking boxes. One, history. Check. Two, geography. Check. That's not always the case. USC and Notre Dame are not necessarily next to each other, and they're great rivals, and There's exceptions to rules there, but generally the best rivalries are regional. Backyard, the Civil War, Oregon, Oregon State, right? North Carolina, Duke, Backo Road, like that's typically where they are. So we got competitive games, we've got geography, but the big thing in a rivalry is it's got to be a two-way road. Like your rival has to agree that you're our rival. Like, there's no contest in Michigan-Ohio State who their rival is. There's no contest. There's no competition for a rival between Duke and North Carolina, Michigan-Ohio State, Oregon-Oregon State. You know, go through them. The Red River rivalry and all the, the great rivalries in college sports. Here's the thing with Pittsburgh. I don't think, if I did the family feud test, we pulled 100 Pittsburgh fans and asked them who their rival is, that Syracuse would win that. But Pitt has to come to the realization, as much as they hate Penn State, they're not playing Penn State anymore on a year-in, year-out basis. Syracuse fans know what that's like. That was the rivalry for many years. What kind of bucked that trend in a way was Penn State beat Syracuse like 16 consecutive seasons. 87 changes that. Syracuse wallops them in the Dome in the undefeated season. But it fizzled out after that. They played Penn State, what, I think once more, twice more after that, and then it fizzled out because Penn State wouldn't join the Big East, and the rest is history. The Big East Football League was formed in the early 90s, and Penn State didn't join it, and it was kind of doomed from the start because Penn State didn't join it. So Pitt can relate to Syracuse. We both hate Penn State. Penn State doesn't want to play us anymore, so... Hey, how you doing? This just makes sense. Not to mention in the modern terms of a rivalry. Like, Syracuse joins the ACC, Duke basketball, instant rivalry. Like, instant rivalry. The problem is, obviously, well, see, we love you, Syracuse, but we kind of have this thing with North Carolina that's kind of a big deal. So Syracuse fans, they're... How can I frame this? There are they're in the friend zone. Syracuse is in the friend zone with Duke. Great times, chemistry, 
two coaches that are lifelong friends, great matchups. There's something there, right? When you're in the friend zone, like you feel something, but it just never kind of takes the next step. Syracuse is in the friend zone with Duke. So Pitt, can we just do this? Can we just make this a rivalry? And the other team that would come up if you're Pittsburgh, if I give you that family feud test, is West Virginia. The longtime backyard brawl, Pitt-West Virginia rivalry, that's just not the same anymore either. So I'm not saying erase history. I'm not saying you can't have those feelings for your ex in Penn State and for your ex for West Virginia, but this is like the end of one of those Lifetime movies that my wife watches, and it's the same ending every time. You have this guy, and you have this girl. Typically, they live in a small town somewhere where the girl used to live in the big city, and she lost her big city job, and now she's in the country trying to find herself, and she meets this guy, and they just do this song and dance for an hour and 45 minutes, and it's like, will you just hook up already? We know it's coming. That, my friends, is Syracuse and Pittsburgh. This works. There's history. We've been doing this since 1916, every year since 1955. The games are competitive. The all-time series is competitive. We're in the same league. They play every year, even though I hope the divisions go away in the ACC, but every year they put Pittsburgh on Syracuse's schedule as the crossover game. I have times in my past where I can say the words, I hate Pittsburgh, on both the football and the basketball court. Plenty of times. I don't ever recall saying that about Boston College. Boston College is, no, it's just not a rivalry. I'm sorry. They're geographic, you know, dance partners. So I don't know who I have to go to. Is there like an official notary I can bring this to? Can we officially stamp this a rivalry, please? Because it is. Look at the last 10 games in this series. Last year, 27-20. Year before that, 2018, 44-37 in overtime. Year before that, 27-24. 2016, that epic 76-61 game. Hey, there's another aspect of a rivalry. You have historic matchups, just epic historic games. That's one of the most epic games in college football history. 2015, 2320, 2014, bit of an anomaly, 37, okay? 2013, 1716, 2012, 1413. And then the first two matchups this decade, 2010 was a 37-10 loss by Syracuse. And 2011 was 45-14. So there was a couple blowouts in there. But for the most part, when Syracuse and Pittsburgh play, and I'm kind of wondering how this game's going to go Saturday, given yet another 20-plus point point spread, this fits all the check marks of a rivalry. It is a rivalry. So can we stop dancing around here? Can we make this Lifetime movie much shorter than it needs to be? Can you two just hook up already? Come on now. Why are we doing this song and dance? We don't have to do this for an hour and 50 minutes. We knew you guys should have hooked up in like the first five minutes of this thing. That's hot. Come on. 
The girl moves to some farmhouse somewhere, and it's her aunt, and there's some farmhand who works in the barn. We see him in the first five minutes, and my wife and my sister-in-law, God bless her, when she visits and they watch these movies, always get mad at me. I'm like, there's the guy. There he is right there. Do we not see this coming? This, this They're going to hook up. I'm going to save you an hour and 50 minutes. See that guy and that girl? They're going to dance around this for about an hour and 45 minutes, but they're going to hook up in the gazebo in the snow. End scene. Because that's how they all end. Why do you make me watch these movies? And on that note, we shall break. And we will go on the blind side. We shall see what Seth Goldberg has for us next. Stay right there. Thank you. Bye-bye.